Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Aaron Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, we love holidays around here, don't we? Love holidays. Love them. Just as Christmas trees and menorahs supplant spooky jack-o'-lanterns and 12-foot Home Depot yard skeletons, so too is fuck-around season followed by find-out season. That's exactly right. And what a find-out season it is. I'm so excited to get into it. Don't you feel like all of our folklore witches from Spooky Season were really on our side last night? Yes, that and the ghost of Harry Reid, which we discussed over text. Yes. Harry Reid 100% sent a blizzard to Nevada. Yes, he did. He's still with us. This week, we are joined by Shaniqua McClendon and Grace Parajani to tackle the following questions. Where is the bath of blood we were promised? Why do pollsters and pundits get women's anger so wrong so often? And where can we get some of that big Gretsch energy? All this and more right now. One, two, three, clap. Oh, sorry. Were all of us supposed to clap? You can clap. Yes, clap. clap. Okay. One, two, three. We'll get it one day. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Uh, Senator Rick Scott was in charge of that. Uh, (laughs) Shaniqua, that joke was for you. I love it. A lot of news to talk about. I bet everyone listening can predict what that news is. We're doing a very special morning after midterms episode. You're going to be hearing this two mornings after midterms. We're doing our very best to give you the freshest information that we can possibly bring you. But things change so quickly in elections um, that some of this stuff might feel a little out of date. So we're trying to keep it broad enough that it's still fresh and relevant. Okay, so Tuesday night, most political pundits were waiting excitedly for a red wave, like a college sophomore who had unprotected sex two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, okay, Alyssa, I can't, not, up. I can't not think about periods every time I hear. Do you know what I think of wave. when they say red wave? I mean, one, yes, periods, of course. Remember the Kool-Aid man who used to like, <laughs> come through the screen. You know what I mean? And there was like all this red Kool-Aid behind him. Right. Well, that's like that's like what all the Republicans were posting yesterday. These like Kool-Aid waves yesterday yeah. morning. I, I keep checking now to see if they've deleted said posts. Yeah. And they haven't deleted said posts no. in most cases. Um, People were predicting a bloodbath like the shining elevator doors, which come on, we've been using that as a reference to our periods for like ever, ever, ever since <laughs> the shining came out. People who have periods have been like, yeah, this month it was like the elevator doors to The Shining. That's like an old kind of hacky (laughs) joke. Um, But the bloodbath didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. It was not a bloodbath. In fact, as we are recording on Wednesday morning, 
it is entirely within the realm of possibility that Democrats not only retain control of the Senate, but pick up a seat. Maybe. Knock wood. Knock wood. That is I just knocked on my head for all who can't see. Within the realm of possibility. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to, before we brought in our panel, I wanted to bring in um, some sound that helps us start on a on a good note. This is a great example of somebody who predicted a red wave that didn't happen. I'm a, I'm a loyal Democrat, but I am not happy. I just think that we are, you know, we did not listen to voters in this election. And I think we're going to have a bad night. And, you know, this conversation is not going to have much impact on Tuesday, but I hope it has an impact going forward. Because when voters tell you over and over and over again that they care mostly about the economy, Listen to them. Stop talking about democracy being at stake. Democracy is at stake because people are fighting so much about what elections mean. I mean, voters have told us what they wanted to hear, and I don't think Democrats have really delivered this cycle. I think that's actually very true about the national messaging that's going on. But you actually have some good candidates who are following your advice. You have people like Mark Kelly, who is running a great race. You have people like Raphael Warnock, yeah, and who's running I, a great race. I would and Josh say, Shapiro. I would say in and those places, Fetterman we, and Tim we Ryan. have our, you know, the unfortunate um, combination of strong gubernatorial candidates, you know, like Mark Kelly is a pop. I was just in Arizona and spent some time there, talked to a, a bunch of voters. Mark Kelly's popular, but Carrie Lake is more popular. And the combination of Carrie Lake's popularity and Joe Biden's unpopularity is going to hurt Mark Kelly. And so I think we're- that was actually a Democratic strategist chastising mm-hmm. Democrats. Hillary Rosen chastising Democrats on Sunday, saying that they had totally fucked up that voters care about the economy. They don't care about abortion. They they just totally bungled it. And the red wave that was coming was something that the Democrats had earned. Alyssa, what do you make of that clip? You know what I make of it, Aaron, is that if people keep disaggregating the economy from abortion, uh, they're never going to learn. Abortion is also an economic issue. Mm-hmm. And when you're that separated from it, you're that out of touch, which is exactly mm-hmm. what her uh, her entire comment was. Talk about it's going to age quite quite poorly, aging yes. poorly. Those those Sunday morning remarks. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. It seems like I mean, and I, I tweeted something to this effect, but I feel very strongly as though the political and punditry class is so outside of the experience of normal people that they don't understand the way that normal people voice their public. Uh, They don't understand the way that normal people voice their opinions or formulate their opinions. And it's very clear that that's what happened. But I don't want to get too into the woods, into the weeds, into the woods. Or into the woods. Woods are fine, too. Woods Mm -hmm. or weeds. I want to bring in two panelists that we are really excited to have here um, because they're both very smart. You you love them both. We love them both. It is. It's going to be a great conversation. First, we've got a regular friend of the pod, practically an honorary co-host at this point. We always love having her, but we're especially excited to have her here today. She's been doing so much work on midterms to make sure that this find out season is as magical as possible. <laughs> Crooked Media Political Director Shaniqua McClendon, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. Very, very, very excited to be here to chat today. You look and sound so well-rested. Really? Considering- I, yes. Can you tell my eyes are watery because I have not gotten enough sleep? But if you can't, I will I will take that. <laughs> Oh, that's I was like, maybe it's just allergies. But no, you you look very well rested. You look very well rested. Um, and our next guest is a writer and producer on Star Trek Lower Decks, which is now out in its entirety on Paramount Plus. Grace Parajani, welcome to Hysteria. 
Hello, spicy little pepper reporting live <laughs> for duty. I'm I missed you guys. It's been a minute. Hello, hi, hi, hi. It is a it's a really special day. I'm glad that this group is here to talk about what happened on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, Shaniqua, I want to start with you. Um, when it became clear on election night that things were not going the way that every pundit and pollster practically had said they were going to go. When did it become clear to you that that was what was happening? Um, I mean, okay, I have to be honest. Like, I have been one of the most optimistic people (laughs) about election night. Like, when everyone was asking me, I was like, I don't want to get too excited, but I don't think it's going to go as bad as everyone has been telling us it's going to go. And a big reason for that is through Vote Save America, we, we are, like, in touch with volunteers, with grassroots organizations. And something that we heard repeatedly was people still care about Roe. Volunteers are, you know, talking to voters on the phone, they're knocking on doors, and everyone still cared about Roe. So the whole narrative that people didn't care about it anymore, or it had kind of subsided since the summer, I just I just never bought into that. But what I will say that I'm annoyed with myself about is, I did let all of the chatter get to me. And so I wasn't so vocal about that. It was just kind of me talking to people close to me. Um, but, you know, that doesn't even matter, because it turned out well. Um, and last night, I'd say... When I felt like, oh, this is going in our direction. When we started seeing the results of the abortion statewide ballot initiative. So there was one in Michigan. There was one in Kentucky. um, California had one, which, of course, would have come in later. But there were a few on the ballot and specifically looking at states like Kentucky, where Rand Paul won pretty easily pretty early on, but the ballot initiative was still winning. Um, Or I should say the no vote on the ballot initiative, which was saying no to um, restricting access to abortion in the state, was ahead. And it's still not finalized, but it's still ahead. And so seeing that statewide ballot initiatives were doing well uh, told us a lot about how people were feeling about Roe. And also, if you look at the same day voter registration numbers, um, I don't know what I was watching, but someone made a really good point that if you are coming out to vote and you register the same day, you're coming out for a reason to make your voice heard and to make a point. Typically, it's not about an elected official. It's about an issue you care about. And I think we just saw that across the board. And yeah, I'm just really, really excited. Yeah. I mean, what was your biggest upside surprise? Well, I don't want to jinx it because it hasn't happened yet. But in Colorado, (laughs) Lauren Boebert, like if she loses, that will be just like icing on the cake. She's Oh, yum, yum, yeah. yum, yum, yum. I'm just, I'm licking up that frosting too. Um, that, why? Yeah. Okay, Grace, Grace, why are we all so excited for her to lose? Like, can you spell out like what? Let's talk about our ugly happiness about this. Yeah, that's a re- that's a, that's a great question. That uh, I think she represents the ugly happiness for sure. I just I think she represents this. Uh, look, when when I see a young woman running for office, I really want to support her. I really do. But the reality is that not every young woman is gonna aligned with me ideologically. And that I think is when it is the most disappointing. If it was just another middle-aged white dude who gives a fuck, whatever, we're used to those people having ideologies that differ from ours greatly. But a young woman, you know, you want to support her and you just can't with Bobert. Um, I think that she represents a very outspoken, entitled, um, I hate to call somebody unintelligent, but she's straight up Dumb, Grace. She's dumb. You can say <laughs> it. Yes, 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 yes. She's yes. an Thank idiot. You. Thank and you, look, 
I love dumb people. I'm friends with plenty of morons. But <laughs> I think that, you know, don't run for office and don't try yeah. to make laws and don't be proud of the fact that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, yes. That's not, a, that's not a badge of honor by any means. And it's disturbing that it ever was a badge of honor. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled as well that she is likely not going to win. It's, it's a big one. It's good. And you know what? The New York Times had not even considered that that was a possibility that she would lose. Um, Alyssa, why did everybody get it so wrong? And why do they keep getting it Aaron, so wrong? Because polls are stupid. Everyone listens to polls. We have talked about this ad nauseum. The polls, the polls, the polls. You guys, do you know what the polls were saying here in New York State? They were saying that Governor Hochul was going to get killed, that the momentum was not on her side, that, like, like, now, am I saying the New York State Democratic Party killed it? No, we've got some we've got some congressional races here that are not great. <laughs> but everyone was talking yesterday. They're like, oh, my God, out of the gate when New York closes, they're going to lose five congressional seats. At, like the polling's all wrong. We shouldn't listen to it. You know, I, I did listen to a podcast where they called people up on the phone. You guys, people who answer their landlines. That's it. Those are the people. Those are the people. That's that is who yep. it is not Gen Z. It is not Gen X. It is not it is it is it is people who will answer their phones, who answer those polls. They are not representative of what is really happening. They are treated like that because cable news needs something to talk about. And, you know, the thing that makes me so mad, Aaron, is that uh, when you think about financially how it impacts people, when you see these polls and everyone tells you that they're real, you're like, oh, God, I better give more money. I better give more money. And and mm -hmm. and so many of them were so, so fucking wrong. Uh, so that's it, Aaron. They were wrong. Polls were really bad. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. When the returns were coming in and it was clear that it was not only not even, not a bloodbath, but like there was no no real blood no. really <laughs> none of it was it was maybe a, spotting. It, spotting it was like a yeah it was like a barely a panty line <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it was well when that started happening and um you know there was a little bit of kind of twitter allows you to publicly see people reckoning with their being wrong and people mm -hmm. were saying like oh all these voters were saying the economy was what was important to them the economy was what was important to them and i don't think people understand the fact that like if i were a person who picked up the my landline and somebody asked me what was most important to me i would not be like abortion <laughs> you know like economy is to say the economy economy is such a big word and it contains yeah. so many things for so many different people. It means like if you asked some random person, what does the economy mean? Like for some people, it means the Dow. Right. For some people, it means right. the Dow Jones. For some people, it means like how expensive Gas groceries prices. are. Yeah. yeah. Minimum wage. Yeah. So many things. Yeah, exactly. So like, I don't know. <laughs> Shaniqua, what would be a better question, I guess, than asking people if they care about the economy? Yeah. I mean, honestly, one, they could just try a follow-up question. <laughs> you know, what about the economy are you concerned about? Is it how much you're making? Is it the prices um, prices that you're seeing and the goods that you buy? Um, and, you know, I think a little of that was captured with people talking about inflation. But I honestly think if you just ask people an open-ended question and kind of let them talk, you gather a lot more information from that than kind of directing them 
toward these specific things. And if people are watching the news just a little bit, they have these terms that um, anchors and pundits are just using a lot. And economy is one of them. And you're right. Economy means something different to so many people, but it feels like the thing um, you're supposed to say. And I think for everyone who said it, it did mean something to them, but it meant something different from everyone else who was saying it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Grace, um, I don't want to. I don't want to put a a pall on this conversation, but like, come on. Oh, I know where we're going. Texas. I know where we're going with this. Okay, as a resident Texan, what happened? All right, all right. Let, let, let's talk. There's a few things, and by the way, there's still some races coming in, and I'm still I'm still parsing it all. I have to separate myself. There's the Democratic American, and then there's the Texan American part of me. And these two sides, these two binaries, are not agreeing today and feeling very different about the results. Um, Texas was a really big disappointment. And uh, I I will say with one, a couple of exceptions, I'm very excited about um, Harris County Mm -hmm. Judge Lena Hidalgo, who as of this morning is officially, she's she's been reelected, which is fantastic. Uh, I'm thrilled about that. There's a lot of races in South Texas that I think a couple of them flipped to uh, blue, which was huge, um, showcasing that even outside of the major cities of Texas, there is some love for Democrats uh, and some progressive views. But other than those two things, it was pretty bad. And, you know, Beto has represented hope for so long now. It is it is heartbreaking to see that I really think that chapter has come to a close. He even said something last night in his concession speech where he was like, this might be one of the last times that I talk to all of you like this. The next time you see an O'Rourke on the ballot, Mm. it might be Amy, (laughs) Um, you know, giving some acknowledgement that 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 he's aware um, of, you know, these three losses consecutively for him, um, meaning something more than just the end of that that one race. Um, I just can't believe that Texas voted Abbott again. I don't understand. I can't, I cannot, I cannot understand. And and it was interesting. I've just started to look at some of the numbers coming out of Harris County because um, it was a tight race for Lena Hidalgo more so than had been the case in in her prior election. And uh, uh, what was interesting there is seeing people splitting their votes and some people voting for Abbott and also Hidalgo, which had not really been the case or or at least not in as many um, uh, droves as the last election. And that's scary to me. And, And I think also the lack of voters in Texas. I mean, I think it was 8 million people, 8 million Texans voted, which left 10 million Texans who did not show up at all. And for Democrats, we have to really ask ourselves, why is that happening? Um, People have said that Texas is a uh, is not a red state. It's a Mm. non-voting state. And I think that feels very accurate to me. This isn't a an overwhelming. We're a conservative state. I think that Texas is diverse. I think we see that in so many different ways. But I do think that there is an apathy. And part of it may be because you know, when it comes at least to the Beto and and uh, an Abbott um, race, neither of them were compelling enough to get people to come out for various reasons. Um, but it's it's frustrating, and I, and I don't know what the answer is, but I do think it lies somewhere in the Latino vote, which we've talked about a lot, but was I, I think sincerely overlooked um, by by Democrats, and that really needs to be worked on for this next uh, race. And I think overall turnout, and when we've talked about this a million times, when there is good turnout, Democrats win. But yeah, I'm pretty sad. Yeah. The one thing I would add to that, I think um, Beto did his best. Um, Yes. Yeah, I agree. And Texas, much like Florida and even my home state of North Carolina, that frustrates me, you know, day in and day out. I think there really needs to be a serious conversation about maybe pausing on statewide candidates and 
putting so much money behind them and actually building the infrastructure out in those states, really taking the time to register these voters, organize them, find out what they care about and figure out what is the best candidate to overlay over infrastructure and not just expecting a candidate to kind of transform the state without doing that work first. So I'm hopeful that um, that is a lesson people take away from it and not that we've just lost these states. That's a great point. I love that. Yeah. Um, Alyssa, what were some of your like favorite results from Tuesday night? Favorite results, favorite results. Um, Governor Laura Kelly in Kansas. I mean, so excited because you know what you for Kansas to to produce a couple of Democrats those organizers worked pretty fucking hard. Um, so happy to see that. What else? Vermont, Becca Balin, first woman going to Congress from Vermont. You guys. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, the most tepid of yays. Yay. <laughs> also, yeah, also yay. She, is, yeah. she is gay. Maura Healy. First woman elected governor, also lesbian, uh, in Massachusetts. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the things I'm excited about are things you really thought would have happened like 15 years ago, but they happened, so we're glad. (laughs) They happened, so we're glad. Um, What else? Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. Michigan. Big Gretch. Big Gretch, baby. I love Big Gretch. She (laughs) pulled, like, honestly, here's the thing, too, when you look at the people who did win— you can just tell they weren't listening to CNN and MSNBC. They were doing what they knew for mm-hmm. the state. Like we had even said we had invited Big Gretch on the show and they were like only local media. Good for you. Good for you. That's what you have to do. Good for you. Yeah. Good um, for you. And so it was really and also just following them on on social media. They worked so hard. Big Gretch worked so hard. She didn't stop. She was like Beto level. She and Beto, I feel like, were two people hustling harder than anybody else uh, you saw out there. So I thought those were all all very uh, encouraging. So this is the first time since, I believe, 1983 that the uh, all the top offices in, uh, I, I think that the House in yes, Michigan, the legislature it. in Michigan and, has and flipped the, yep, to Democrat. The Senate, too. They flipped both chambers. They flipped both Amazing. chambers. Yeah. I'm, I think big. we got to give credit to Big Gretch Energy, yes, yeah. obviously. <laughs> uh, but I also, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this, and maybe I'm biased because she's a friend of the show, but Mallory McMorrow, yes. I think— yeah really trapped some lightning in a bottle and is a really, really promising and inspiring young politician. And I think that there were a lot of voters in Michigan, women, who looked to her and saw like, yep, I, okay, her party, I'm into Mm -hmm. her. I like what she does. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of young, inspiring people working in Michigan right now. Mallory is far from the only one, but I think that she's the one that went the most like mega viral. And I think she really, uh, she really hit a nerve in a, in a good way when she gave that speech about people uh, not being crazy, accusing people of grooming children. Um, so, oh, Pennsylvania. Shaniqua, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about Pennsylvania? Yeah, that, um, it's just so much good news last night. Uh, so Josh Shapiro, um, pretty early on, um, one. Um, that was one of the early uh, calls that I think really helped set the rest of the night in motion. Um, and 
Yeah, like Doug Mastriano, Trump back candidate, a lot of Trump's big candidates statewide lost. Um, but that was one of the first ones out the gate pretty early on. And then later on, we saw that John Fetterman ended up winning. And just to think back to all of the opinions that people had after his debate with Oz and just, you know, oh, he's lost this and just, you know, all of the punditry um, to see him come out on top was really, really exciting. And especially thinking about Michigan and um, and, and Pennsylvania, seeing those wins uh, in multiple statewide races is a reminder that, yeah, 2016, those states did not look great for us, but we learned our lesson and people really got to work in those states and we're seeing the outcomes now. And I, I think especially in Pennsylvania, you see that the types of candidates who run really matter. Those were two candidates that really spoke to the voters there throughout the state. Um, and even in rural parts that um, Fetterman didn't win, he did outperform Biden. And so he was able to um, reduce those uh, loss margins in rural parts of the state, which had um, a great impact statewide in bringing him over the finish line. Yeah. And didn't Pennsylvania flip its statehouse also? Um, yes, I saw that they were headed toward that. Um, uh, I may just not have seen that it actually happened yet. But that is also um, a place where um, John Lovett actually went out there and volunteered uh, and helped out with the state house race there. And one of the I think it may have been the candidate or a volunteer said that they had been seeing really solid volunteers coming in um, since the summer. So the last thing I want to add, just kind of like uh, in the spirit of Vote Save America and a lot of the organizations like Crooked that came about after Donald Trump got elected. 2022 is when a lot of people were questioning Trump's out of office, Biden won. Is this enthusiasm still going to be here to help get Democrats elected? And I think that this is proof that that energy is not going anywhere. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we're going to benefit from it for, for some time. Mm -hmm. All right, time for a break, but stick around. There will be more hysteria after this. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more, more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you 
stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. To, I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, almost like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put a a blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim Denim shirt, blazer, leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is. Like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.
And we're back. You're listening to Hysteria. Let's get back into some midterms talk. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the uh, abortion as a driver to to polls again. I want to kind of revisit that a little bit. Um, I was having a conference. My in-laws are in town because my daughter just turned one. And we were, yeah, and they're from Pennsylvania. And we were talking last night about, you know, the kind of surprise, uh, quote unquote surprise, the punditry surprise of what was happening. And my mother-in-law made a really interesting point. She said that she thinks that the abortion thing is bigger than abortion. And by that, she meant that, that people saw the abortion issue as a slippery slope. If Justice Thomas hadn't opened his big mouth about revisiting Obergefell yeah. and Lawrence and Griswold, uh, which are the case, the Supreme Court cases that uh, uh, regarding uh, same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, and uh, birth control, then I don't think it would have been in voters' heads that supporting candidates that were anti-abortion could also lead to the supporting candidates that would mess with gay marriage or mess with birth control. Like, I think that that's really true because I know that there are a lot of people who care deeply about abortion, but I think there's even more people who don't want the government meddling in their life and their health and their relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, Alyssa, you're, you're gesturing. I think, too, that when we talk about how abortion should be a decision and a conversation between a woman and her doctor, I think that we underestimate the fact that that's really fucking true. Just because we see that shout your abortion on Instagram and on Twitter, for a lot of people, it's just a private, private thing. And when you ask them, are you voting on abortion? They're just going to say no. You know, it is not something that everybody wants to talk about. And so I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone discounted that too. And I think there were a lot of people who went to, even this man who was voting for Mastriano, I saw him on the news, but he was like, you know, women do deserve to have, you know, some privacy. So I'll vote for John Fetterman (laughs) too. And I was like, what is going on? But I do think that that is, that that it is, uh, that it is private. And some people don't want to talk about it when someone calls them on the phone that they don't know. <laughs> if you don't want the government in your business, you definitely don't want a pollster in your business. So No, definitely not. Exactly. Yeah. Last night gave me some 2018 vibes, too, because I remember moving toward the 2018 midterms. Nobody predicted the extent of the blue wave that happened in 2018. Right. And I remember when uh, the Kavanaugh hearings happened it pissed off so many women, but like the anger of a huge block of female voters and, and allies and people who care about women, um, it it pissed off this huge block of voters and pundits just kind of like ignored the anger, pretended the anger didn't exist. And then they were surprised to see the effects of said anger. And I feel like that's what happened again this time. It's like, I don't want it to sound like a hack comedian, but it's like, you know, if you just listen, just listen to like what women and people who care about reproductive justice are saying, people I think would have seen this coming yeah. more than they did. Grace, you're, you look like you've got something on your mind. 
I think that you're just dead on when it comes to the fact that anger is a very motivating factor. It's highly motivating. I think we've seen that in the past. But they also ignore women's anger. Women's anger just gets ignored. And it's like this huge gravitational force in the American political system at this point over the last several electoral cycles. Yeah. And like, how many rakes do you got to step on before you're like, (laughs) oh, yeah, this is it. Um, real quick, I wanted to talk briefly about Wisconsin. It was the Evers of times. It was the Johnson of times. Um, they reelected governor Tony Evers. Good, good job. Great for you guys. Uh, which basically puts a bellwether between a gerrymandered all to fuck state legislature, which is chomping at the bit to just take away, uh, reproductive riots in the state of Wisconsin. But with Evers at the top of the state government, that that can't happen. And I believe, Shaniqua, didn't North Carolina, there's not a veto-proof majority now? In both Wisconsin and North Carolina, Republicans failed to reach a supermajority. So having Democrats in the governor's uh, seat, yeah, they can block, uh, veto, whatever crazy stuff these legislatures come up with. That's pretty good. Um, That's fun. Yeah, uh, I also think, you know, we don't know the results in Arizona for the gubernatorial election, but things are looking pretty good for Katie Hobbs, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. Another place where polling told us that Carrie Lake was going to win. Yeah, Uh, by a lot. Yeah, that's insane. Mark Kelly, as as we're recording this on Wednesday, Mark Kelly looks like he's going to be fine, too. He's up Mm -hmm. like six points. Yeah, like that was... I guess maybe the people who are picking up their phones in Arizona are grumpy in because they're inside because it's they can't they can't stand the heat. Yeah, yeah, right. Speaking of heat, there was an article in the Rolling Stone in Rolling Stone, the Rolling Stone. I sound like I'm <laughs> a million years in Rolling Stone a couple days ago uh, that that interviewed several noted astrologers because election night fell on the night of a blood moon. Yes, it did, which is very interesting. And all these astrologers were saying like this is going to be an unexpected night. Gird your loins; it's going to be unexpected. We don't know. I mean, I certainly internalize that as as shit's going to go down, it's going to be a red wave, etc. But I actually think the antithesis happened. And that's the unexpected turn that that astrologers are pointing to. So thank you, Blood Moon. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I do dabble in reading about astrology. I don't understand (laughs) how people formulate astrological readings. I don't either. It makes no sense to me, but I find it very interesting. And I live in California and I will get kicked out if I don't at least like (laughs) absorb some of it by osmosis. And, you know, I I think that astrologers were more right than most pundits, you know, like on Tuesday, actually, um, it was weird weather in, in LA. And, and again, this is not about like vibes being a good way to predict what's going to happen politically. This is just a commentary on like how bad professional pundits and pollsters are at reading what's happening. Um, So on Tuesday in L.A., it was raining. It was raining buckets. It rained buckets all morning. It stopped for a while. And then around like a little after 3 p.m., it just started like storming. It felt like it had this really, really spooky like before storm feeling that you don't really get outside of the, the Midwest or East Coast. And then it just started just pouring. And I had like this sudden flashback to 2006 um, I had gotten off work nannying and I got in my car and I turned the car on and NPR was playing and then it just started gushing rain and the returns from the 2006 midterm started coming in. And that was like a ridiculous upside surprise for Democrats. So I texted Alyssa and I was like, I don't know. I feel like 
the vibe is like 2006, like some kind of crazy. <laughs> I was more right than the professionals who, who yes, do you this were. Yes. based entirely on vibes. So why not go off the moon to predict politics? Because can't be any worse than the people that do it professionally. <laughs> Alyssa? The moon's not making money off of any of this either. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's true. Hire the moon. MSNBC should hire. Hire, hire the, the moon. moon. Uh, CNN should hire the moon. I think that they are the ones that, that ended up looking like the, the game's wrongest bitches last night. Although the game was full of wrong bitches. <laughs> okay, so Shaniqua. Okay, I am so curious to hear what you think this means. Right now, it looks like Fingers crossed, Knockwood, Democrats will likely retain control of the Senate. Likely. It's possible they don't, but it's likely that they do. And it's also slightly more likely that they lose control of the House, but only by a few seats. What does Washington look like in that environment? Honestly, not keeping the House is, um, you know, keeping it is our ideal option, but having a very close margin is great too. Kevin McCarthy cannot come, or whoever they ultimately choose to be leader, cannot come in and just have, one, there's no mandate. They love to say they have a mandate. There won't be a mandate. But his caucus is going to be so spread across the ideological spectrum that he will not be able to control them. When I started working on the Hill, um, you know, the Tea Party came in, John Boehner did not survive, and neither did Paul Ryan. And I think Kevin McCarthy is going to see the same fate, especially because I do think um, you're going to have some of these new Republicans who barely won. They just got in by small margins. They're not going to want to rock the boat too much. And then you're going to have the crazies all the way on the right who refuse to do anything that is too moderate. And if you just have one or two of them on either side— McCarthy can't do anything. So I'm I'm really interested to see what he thinks is possible, but I think Democrats will be in a pretty good position. Um, the only thing that does suck is uh, Democrats won't have a say in like what bills come up for a vote, but there are procedural maneuvers uh, <laughs> that they can use to, to push some things. So uh, not the best outcome, but not the worst. I love this for Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> I love this. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> there is no bitch more deserving of <laughs> the worst job in Washington. No, and another thing that's interesting, too, is the absolute insanity of all the split-ticket voting. So he's going to have so many people. Like, in New York, it is so interesting. The top-performing Democrat so far is Letitia James, who outperformed Kathy Hochul, um, who, you know, like Lee Zeldin— good riddance, you malevolent twerp. But it'll be really interesting because a lot of these Republicans, though, right now, eight out of 10 of the competitive House seats in New York are leaning GOP. But it's like, it's all very interesting because people who voted for them also voted for Hochul. And so I think Kevin McCarthy will have a, a very complicated caucus on his uh, on his hands because you don't have a bunch of crazy Trump devotees who will do anything, who will walk the plank for him. These are people who are going to want to protect their seats. And so it does make them a bit more pliable at times. Yeah. Something that, that I saw yesterday was a quote from a GOP member of Congress talking about how, how much impact Joe Manchin can have in the Senate. And it's like, oh man, well, yeah. Because Joe, Joe yeah. Manchin basically 
gets to throw his weight around because like the Democrats need him. So he was looking at Joe Manchin like, cool, I can do that in the House under mm-hmm. a, like, and uh, have fun, guys. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> have fun with your mansions. Um, <laughs> it seems as though, and this is, you know, I, again, agree with Shaniqua that, that it would have been best for Democrats to retain the House. But there's a part of me that thinks maybe it's better that there is a front and center example of Republicans just being fundamentally incapable, yes. incapable yes. of governing, like so focused on petty Fox News, extremely online Facebook boomer Karen, like <laughs> in their little universes that they spend the next two years just showing us their asses. So when, you know, the 2024 campaign heats up. Can't wait. Yep. Can't wait. Strap in. Which might be sooner than we think. I mean, they're going to have to throw Trump into the mix of all of this. Again, <laughs> enjoy mm. watching the Republican caucus decide between Trump and DeSantis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, it is something that, you know, pundits love to frame and political media loves to frame things as, is it a win for Trump or not a win for Trump? And I kind of... I kind of can't stand that because he's not a, he, he's just a guy, you know? Yeah. But last night was straight up bad. Yeah. It was oh. bad for him, though. It was. <laughs> yeah. He's a guy who's bad at picking winners and, and the horses that he backed ended up getting euthanized humanely on the track after breaking both ankles. <laughs> By the way, I know he hasn't officially announced yet, but does anybody else feel like we just have not gotten a break from him. I mean, no. I, I, it just no. there's, never, there's been no break whatsoever. None. I, I he's a constantly whatever. I I, I mean, I I know that's not going to change anytime soon. So what does it matter? But I was hoping for a little bit more time. Do you think it's because like different outlets have? I know we're being like the media today, but honestly, the media really did. They they did really fuck up big time. But, yeah. you know, do you think it's because the media has people like on the Trump beat, like stationed, posted up in Mar-a-Lago um, that we're not getting a break from Trump? Or do you think it's that Trump is making it his business that we know every time he takes a 12 flush shit in his toilet? I think it's symbiotic. I think you also have people, external forces like the presence of Elon Musk is enough to have yeah. people th- thinking about and talking about Trump just as as a byproduct. And I mean that that's sick. We are we are sick. We are a sick country <laughs> that we we have so many things that remind us of of Trump. I, yeah, I, I don't think it's any one one reason. I just he's he's there. He's like our he's embedded in our brains in a, in a disturbing way. Oh, um, Shaniqua, what were you going to say about the ubiquity of Trump? I agree. I think it's kind of, they feed off of each other. Um, I mean, Trump's just not going to go anywhere. uh, But there are still journalists who are screenshotting what he says on Truth Social and and kind of bringing it into the mainstream. Um, But we haven't gotten a break, but I do think the attack (laughs) has been a little less since he's been off of Twitter, since we've moved beyond um, the 2020 election, but there's just too many people who still care very deeply about what he thinks, what he's doing. Um, And not just journalists, like there are still a lot of voters who care about it. There are still a lot of politicians in Congress specifically who invoke his name to like, you know, demonstrate some deeper meaning to whatever it is they're saying. And as we head toward 2024, it's just going to be impossible for us not to. I mean, yeah, the whatever uh, calmness, uh, relatively calm feeling we have now is 
yeah, the rug is about to be pulled from under us. And even though a lot of Republicans know that he should not announce now because it's not helpful uh, in what they experienced <laughs> last night, we know he is. And it's mm-hmm. just going to turn into a shit show. He has show. no impulse control. <laughs> no. None whatsoever. He shoved a world leader out of the way at a summit in front of many cameras yeah. so he could be the, at the prime front. minister of Montenegro, nonetheless. Oh, I, <laughs> I knew you would remember that, Alyssa. Yes. Okay. Leave Montenegro alone. So on October 7th, leave Montenegro alone? Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, of course. On October 7th, the Republican House Judiciary Committee tweeted Kanye, Elon, Trump. Grace, what do you think? given the benefit of hindsight, that that tweet could be interpreted to mean? Oh, people that I never want to hear from ever again. Wealthy people <laughs> who need to go away. That's what it means to me. Uh, is it people who aren't, who weren't ever really that smart to begin with? People who had bamboozled us into thinking that they were geniuses? Yeah, they fell yeah. up. They fell up. <laughs> they fell up, yes. They fell up indeed. Um, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about We've talked about kind of like the actual results and stuff, but I kind of want to talk about like how awful I felt going into last night physically, not just like I was worried and I thought that the that Democrats were going to lose because that's not what I felt. I had a dread that like felt like it inhabited my entire body. I hate election night so much. It sucks so bad. And I wonder if I'm alone and just like not finding it to be fun at all. Like Grace, do you, is election night fun for you anymore? No, it's not fun. A a lot of it is because of, um, it's a bandwidth thing. I mean, we care so deeply about so many races and to see these returns coming in at odd intervals and not at a pace that we can keep up with and also not at a pace that makes any sense. And, and there's just no consistency across the board. It's really, really frustrating. Uh, I also feel this em- emotional uh, heft. I, I think, again, because it's it's just so much to intake at once um, because you're bl- sort of bracing for the worst outcomes. And uh, even when there's some, uh, when that's alleviated and when excellent outcomes come it doesn't it still doesn't fully feel like uh grounding um I I I uh, have to agree with you it's not fun it's not, I mean I remember like in in high school and college I, I don't know there were like election return parties that I would go to like gathering groups of friends and it was almost like like the Super Bowl like you watched it excited and it was a fun way to gather with friends and watch it all come in at once and the last thing that I want to do anymore is socialize with anybody when the elections happen and when the results come in I want to be alone trying to intake as much as I can um it is no longer like a fun social gathering I think because the stakes are too high and we've seen that change in in the last, you know, eight years now. Um, to me, it has shifted in a big way. Alyssa, is it fun for you? No. So it's funny because yesterday I was texting with one of my oldest pals, Volpe, because 22 years ago, we sat in bed together and watched... Tim Russert, Tom Brokaw, and Katie Kirk be very confused about what was happening in Florida. And it's like, we've come such a long way. Also, we don't get results anymore in night. Like, there's no point in having a party because there aren't going to be results anyway. And so what does it matter? But no, it is is not fun because, because I think in the past... 10 years, we've come to understand that this isn't funny. It's not a joke. It's not a party. Like really bad things can happen. And so I just think that it's not, uh, it just doesn't feel right anymore. It's just, you you be by yourself, put on your pajamas, your house coat, you sit there, you make some soup and you watch your results. Yep. 
Yeah, Shaniqua is, I mean, I know it's like your work, but how does election night feel emotionally for you just like as a as a person? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, you know, especially you've been watching this these races and the the ups and downs for months and then it feels like you've been working at it for so long and it comes down to this one night or a few nights and the it just the other part is like volunteers can have like and people who are donating and all the work that like we do here at Crooked like it does have an impact. But you get to a point where you have to hand it off and see what the voters decide. And that part is nerve-wracking because you don't get to go into the voting booth with them. Um, You you know, you just have to hope that everything you've done up until that point will have an impact. And yeah, that is, I'm someone who likes control and you have no control at that point. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of like when I was younger, I used to like Grace. I used to go to like watch parties. Like, ooh, we're gonna see the the returns or whatever. I remember in 2012 going home like way earlier than we thought. We were just like, no, oh, okay, well, that's over. Like, yeah, that was like, way <laughs> easier than we thought. I worked in the White House in 2012, and I was still in bed by 10. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, That's I was, it was just like, I was like raring to have like a night, you know? And then I was like, no, oh, okay, well, bye. Um, but that's, it doesn't feel celebratory anymore. And I told Alyssa yesterday that to me, it's akin to having surgery. Like the day you have surgery, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm excited to get this surgery over with. And I just hope everything goes well. But like, even if things go well, I'm probably, it's going to be a a pain in my ass for the next like (laughs) few days at least. And like, I hope I don't get an infection and I hope that there's not a mistake, but like, it's not, it's not, yay. I can't wait to, to go to the hospital and be in surgery. It's like, it, it really elicits like an intense anxiety in me. And like, I don't know if this is just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Um, but right now, if we had two political parties whose differences were ideological and not like existential, I would not feel existential dread every single election. That's the best description, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's too much. And I hate that I watching and reading people who kind of treat the whole thing like a sporting event makes me feel like one of those, like, you know, Carrie Lake in her, in her speech on Tuesday being like, I'll show you media. I'll turn you into real journalists. She gave like this really. And your dog too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 This really like wicked witch of the West, which wicked witch of the Southwest type, like, (laughs) like scolding. But I, I feel some of the anger that, and, and I know this is ironic as a member of the media, but I feel some of the anger that people have toward the mainstream media when I watch people talk about politics like it's a sport. You're exactly right. It's like, that's the whole problem. Last night at four o'clock, they were talking about how fun it was going to be. And that's just like not what's happening. And also like, I don't remember old timey TV reporters talking about how fun election night was. I mean, it was something that was very serious. And I feel like part of what has happened also since Trump is that it has become this weird game sport, you know, bahahaha, what's going to happen? And that's just like not it. But also, Erin, your point couldn't be more correct in that like many, many years ago, 
if Republicans won, it wasn't necessarily like they were so ideologically polar opposite of a Democrat who would have won. Like there was so much more common ground in a lot of ways. And now you're right. It's just like existential. Like if they win, here are all the things that are going to go away. It's not amendments. It's not things will be ticked up or down by 10 or 15 percent. It is it is existential, like like you said. It's not like a gender reveal where it's like, oh, I could be having a girl or a boy. Either way, win-win. It's like, am I going to be giving birth to an angel or to a literal demon? Rosemary's baby. Yes. (laughs) Rosemary's baby. Exactly. That's what it feels like. Oh, man. I don't know. I kind of like give give that devil baby a shot. I thought maybe. I could change him. I could change him. Um, So I want to wrap this conversation up by, uh, you know, do you do you have any final thoughts on on what happened um, on Election Day? Anybody you'd like to shake a fist at or like raise a glass to uh, before we take our take a break and get to Sandy Petty? Grace, do you want to go first? Do you have anything Sure. I mean, I, you know, to all the people who voted like that, that's amazing, guys. It's fantastic. I know midterms are not that sexy. And I know like in our in our circles, we care a great deal, but I know it's really not exciting for a lot of people out there. And and I do think that um, the strong Democratic uh, showing last night was because there were a good number of people who came out to vote in in this midterm. And I think that's huge. And 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 so, you know, thanks for that. And and also to all the hardworking volunteers and activists out there to Crooked, too, you know, as one of of, of a few organizations that have really moved the needle. Like you guys have done amazing, amazing work and it deserves to be celebrated. You guys deserve some rest <laughs> for yeah. sure. Snaps and then for we Shaniqua. Gotta, Snaps yeah, for Shaniqua. That's for Shaniqua, for sure. exactly. And then, uh, you know, and then we got to gird our loins. Um, but let's get that rest in, too, because rest and, um, you know, reflection is a really important part of this cycle. Yeah. Uh, Shaniqua, who do you want to, like, give a final, like, raise a glass or shake a fist? I don't know. It's just something that I don't know why it just came up. <laughs> I would like to raise a glass to Stacey Abrams. Um, I know she did not win, but she has just done tremendous work over the past, what, 15 years now. And it's been really hard to watch men (laughs) reap the benefits of all of the work that she's done. I'm happy that, you know, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are are in the Senate. But um, I just think she's done a tremendous job and want to raise a glass to her for all of her hard work. I hope she gets some rest and, you know, whatever's next for her, I know she'll do amazing at. Uh, More books. More books. Selena Montgomery, (laughs) make a comeback. Yeah, yeah, like a like a Shonda Rhimes style turn to turning her go. work into incredibly addictive like Netflix bingeable shows. Yeah. Um <laughs> Alyssa, do you have any like fist shaking or glass raising? I don't have a fist shaking, but you know, we have talked so much about local elections and people who run at the local level and so I want to two things. One, I will say that the local news and local radio were much more correct about what was going to happen than any of the national uh, national television that I watched. And I also want to say I'm so proud of Michelle Hinchy, SD41. She won here. She won a terrific, ter- she ran a terrific race. She worked so hard and she won. And so I just wanted to shout her out too. Amazing. Um, I think I want to raise my glass to Samuel Alito because without yes. his... Without his, I know, my glass is full of piss and vinegar, but, you know, I'm raising it regardless. Um, You know, you can't spell Alito with a big L. 
And uh, he, I really think that that his hubris and uh, zeal in overturning abortion rights and being the author of the Dobbs opinion has really come to bite him in the ass. And to borrow some words from his, his colleague, Brett Kavanaugh, I feel like maybe the whirlwind is being reaped. Maybe some people are reaping the whirlwind. And, you know, it, I think that the damage that Dobbs has done to the lives of the people that it has directly affected can't be overstated, and I don't want to minimize it. But I think that the the anger that people felt in the wake of the Dobbs decision and the impunity of the Supreme Court has reminded Americans that they need to stand up and say no to what they're trying to do and what they're trying to turn this country into. And I hope that someday in the near future, we can look back on June 24th, 2022, the day the Dobbs decision came down as an inflection point in this country's history, because it does seem like Alito started something, but it's not what he wanted to start. And, um, I'm going to stick around and see how it ends. Can't wait. Love that. <laughs> All right, let's let's take a quick break. When we come back, a guaranteed politics-free Sandy Petty. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And welcome back. Shaniqua, Grace, and Melissa are still with me. We are going to do a Sanity Corner, I feel petty, but with no politics in it because we just talked about politics for like an hour and it's that's, that's enough. Before we get to that, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Okay, for the week of Thanksgiving, we're so excited about this. We love these episodes. We love these episodes. 
we get to hear from you and involve you listeners more in, a, in the episode than you normally are involved. We're doing a mailbag episode. So send us your questions. Like if you need advice about anything, personal, political, you can shoot us an email, hysteria at crooked.com, or we'll be posting Instagram stories, inviting people to submit their questions, also putting it on Twitter. So whatever medium is comfortable for you, send us some Whatever questions. feels right. Yeah, whatever feels right. Send us some questions, but you know, keep it, keep it a tone and tenor that would be appropriate for literally everybody on staff to read. You know, we exactly. all read, we all read the emails and, and, and stuff. So really excited about that episode. Send us your questions, hysteria at cricket.com. Okay. House has been kept. Grace, are you feeling sanity corner or petty today? I'm feeling sanity corner. I'm feeling sanity corner. Um, here's my sanity corner guys. I have taken a big step back on social media, especially Twitter. I feel so good about it. Part of it is the Elon thing. Uh, uh, part of it was, uh, you know, the anxiety of the midterms um, and needing to take a little step away and not turning to Twitter for all of my, uh, all of all of the news. Um, but it's felt really good and it was unexpected. And as a comedy writer, you know, you think like, oh, this is a great platform to be able to toss out some jokes. Um, but for anybody who's, who's thinking about taking a little step back, uh, I really recommend it. I spent more time with my family and friends. That's great. I've been watching more Survivor. <laughs> that feels good. Um, <laughs> so that has been my, that's been my sanity corner. I highly recommend it. Oh, and here's another thing I'm not doing. I'm not jumping to Mastodon or Blue Sky or whatever. I mean, maybe down the road or something. I don't know. But like, I don't want to never say never, um, as the phrase goes. But uh, I feel like I'm just kind of eliminating my presence slowly. And it feels good. Nice. You're Homer backing into the hedges. <laughs> and that is a movie. <laughs> I must always respect Grace Parajani with the Irish goodbye. <laughs> Shaniqua, what are you, uh, you going to go with? Petty or sanity today? Um, it's a mix of both. Uh, petty toward myself. I bought these pants that I loved uh, two weeks ago from Banana Republic. They were $37 because they were discontinued, but actually cost like $150. And so I put, there was only pair in there on sale. I put them on, they fit perfectly. And I was so excited about them. And then because they were only $37, I did not look at the tag to see how I should wash them. And I put... I put them in on the delicate cycle and I went to my washing machine and opened it and there was this really strong smell. I had no idea what it was. So I washed them again on not the gentle cycle and then they were ruined. Turns out they're wool pants. I did not know that. <laughs> and <laughs> they look very fuzzy now. But the sanity part of that is I went online and while I could not find any for $37, they had, uh, they're on sale. They're 40% off right now. So I was able to replace them. And now I have this kind of, I don't know, I think I'll wear the pants with like, you know, when I'm dressed down casual, they're still cute, but they definitely look like wool now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's fair. There is a really unique feeling that goes along with fucking up your own laundry. I know. We're like, especially if it's like a wool thing and you take it out and you're like just the the intense all I had to do is read the tag yeah it's just like regret it's like oh why didn't I why did I put this in the dryer why did I oh and it's just like an incredible hyper dose of self hate and it was yesterday it was the beginning it was election day and so I was just like I need good stuff happening and I just sat on the couch and put my hand in my head 
Well, when 2024 happens, you will have to judge whether or not Democrats <laughs> are going to have a good yeah. uh, result based on whether or not you've messed up any laundry yes. in the recent past. Because that's just as reliable as punditry. Um, I, uh, you know what? I'm feeling petty. Okay. I'm feeling petty. Um, I was, you know, grocery shopping the other day with my kid and, you know, got her into a shopping cart. And I realized that one of the only public accommodations that are openly made for people taking care of children Mm. is shopping. Shopping. They make shopping carts, but those are only like half-ass accommodations because the shopping cart that I put her in had a belt, but the belt was situated so high that it like went under her armpits and I couldn't buckle it all the way. So she just had this like basket, this metal basket seat to sit in which I just kind of had to very gently push her around and be very careful. And she, there was no belt. Anyway, it was just, it just made me think of how few ways that people who are caretaking young kids yeah. are like accommodated in like public spaces. And I don't think everything should be a kid's space or anything like that. But, you know, when I was pregnant, I thought about how I was lucky that I didn't have a difficult pregnancy. But a lot of people aren't lucky and do have difficult pregnancies and their mobility is impacted by their pregnancy and how few like expecting mothers parking spots I saw the entire Mm. time that I was pregnant. Like, it's like, I I just think, you know, people, people love parents if they're in a space where they can extract money from them. But otherwise it's like, get out of, get out of the public. And that kind of made me sad. And I felt petty about the shopping carts and I just... I wish there was a, a a better system in place where I didn't have to like kind of gingerly yeah. like wheel my daughter around like I have a Fabergé egg in my Trader <laughs> Joe's cart. See, Erin, this is why I think you got to come to upstate New York. We have expectant mother. We have electric car. We oh, wow. have veterans parking spaces wherever what? you go. And also wow. the carts both at Home Depot and Walmart are much better than what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, don't tempt me with a good time. I am missing you. having all four seasons. Oh my goodness. Okay. Get over here. Um, Alyssa, <laughs> Sanity Corner or Petty? Sanity Corner and a call to action for our listeners. So I have been, uh, my Oma passed away several years ago and I have been trying to be the person who makes the holiday recipes that she used to make. And I actually got super lucky. A friend of mine found this German cookbook. And so I have been making all of the Christmas cookies and they've been coming out really well if I toot my own horn. But I need an apple strudel recipe. She Nobody made better apple strudel than my Omi. There is no recipe. She did it all from memory. And so if anyone's out there and had an Oma who makes apple strudel <laughs> that has no breadcrumbs, no nuts, and does have sour cream, which is the Austrian Bavarian version, please, please tweet it at me or DM me. I need <laughs> to figure this out. If she spent all day stretching the dough across the kitchen table, that's you're who I need to talk to. So please, please, <laughs> if you have a strudel recipe, send it to me. Alyssa, this is, I believe, the second or third annual call for a strudel recipe. I think, you know oh, what? Wow. I think you, you might made. be right. I think you might and be right. People, Because I remember when we you did this before and people were like, oh, I think this is it. And like kept sending you stuff. And I'm being specific. Bless everybody. Yeah. yeah no God bread bless crumbs. everybody who gets in touch because our listeners are, I'm biased, but the absolute, the greatest. Eric, 
can I also just say, I feel so seen that you remember that I've done this almost every year that we've had the podcast. I know. It's the annual request for a strudel recipe that does Oma proudly. Exactly. Um, yeah. If, if you're, we have any Bavarian <laughs> listeners out there who, who make their strudel with cream cheese. Sour cream. And stretch the dough for a long time. Sour cream. Oh, okay. Not cream cheese. That would be harder. Yeah. That is, um, it's so, I would expect you to be able to find any recipe on the internet in 2022. I, That's so, so here's interesting. the truth. I have gone down deep, deep down the rabbit hole and I have cobbled together of three or four mm. recipes, what I think would be correct. But I really just hope someone's Oma has something, even if it's <laughs> in German, you guys, even if it's, send it to me, my mom will translate. <laughs> you know, you know what? This just gave me an idea, a Hollywood idea. Wow. You know how Fire Island is like kind of a, a reboot of Pride and Prejudice? Yes. Like, right? I think you should write a reboot of Moby Dick that is about a strudel? upstate New York woman searching for a, stru- <laughs> a strudel recipe. That feels right. Erin, yeah. you wait. Come next year, there will not be a fourth call to action seeking strudel. <laughs> woman seeks strudel. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm so glad that we got to get together, the four of us, and blow off some steam today. I think that there was a lot of built-up tension before this election and a palpable sense of relief uh, today and hopefully moving forward. I mean, look, we're not going to feel good forever. No no feeling is final, right? But uh, for now, we do. And I'm, and I'm really glad that we were all here to talk about it. Um, Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Shaniqua and Grace, thank you so much for joining this week. Absolutely. Shaniqua, you, you got to come back when we have more results and we can gloat about yes. those as well. Yes. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week and every week. And we will be back again next Thursday. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 